Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I don't know how to tell you guys how excited I am. This is one of my longest term, biggest idols that is coming to join us. For those of you who've been listening for a very long time, Jenny Line was one of the very first human interviews I did on Pure Dog Talk back in Orlando six years ago. So Jenny is coming back to join us and we are going to be talking about English Cocker Spaniels and I'm so excited I can't stand it. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over two billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome, Jenny. Calm down, girl. <laughs> God, I love you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Jenny, you've been breeding English Cocker Spaniels under the Ransfell banner for longer than I've been alive. (laughs) 1960 was the first. So talk to us first a little bit about English Cocker Spaniels for the companion home. English Cocker Spaniels as companions. All right. First of all, I think you have to be prepared for a companion that's going to follow you everywhere. It likes to go to the bathroom with you. It likes to wander outside with you. If you get up and go somewhere, he or she doesn't seem to make any difference. They have to be with you. They're not prepared to sit on the couch and say, I know where you're going. I'll be here when you get back, which we have whippets as well. And that's more their style most of the time. Right. So this is a Velcro dog generally. They love to go in cars. They love to ride with you. They adore going for walks. One of their pitfalls, they're inclined to be very greedy. Most of them will steal with no conscience. Table, counter, if they can reach it. The whippets help because the whippets get it off and the cockers eat it. (laughs) They're really easy to be with. I call them a very versatile dog. They adapt. I think they're sort of an unknown flying under the radar fabulous companion prefer to keep them that way (laughs) (laughs) i mean at the moment i think they've sort of been discovered because the numbers of people wanting english cockers 
in the last five years has escalated exponentially. Mm, interesting. And we're losing breeders. We're losing a lot of our senior breeders. They're stopping and I'm one of them that, you know, is pretty well slowed down to nothing. And people are coming back for the third and fourth dog from us. And I'm feeling badly, not able to always help them, but they're very, very easy to live with most of the time. Relatively healthy? Relatively healthy. And we have exceptional DNA work that's been done by the parent club to identify issues in the breed. I mean, we are a PRA, PRCD breed, Mm -hmm. and that there's no excuse for anymore because of DNA. We're not a breed that has a lot of hip dysplasia, but all of us do our OFA hips to verify. We have a couple of conditions that have arisen in the last little while, adult onset neuropathy, which Mm. affects the rear ends and can be very, very disturbing. Mm. Again, we have testing, so there is no excuse. We have a kidney disease, familial nephropathy, which causes the kidneys to atrophy before the dog is usually in the range of a year and a half, Mm. quite often earlier. Again, we have testing. So if you're dealing with a reputable breeder who does the testing, there's easy accessibility to finding out what your odds are. Because they are greedy, you have to feed a fairly low-fat diet. We do have the occasional pancreatitis issues, autoimmune stuff happening. But again, a lot of it, I think, is nutritionally able to be controlled. We don't like to feed a high-fat diet. And grooming maintenance for the pet home, just average. This is a dog where you have to accept hair. (laughs) It definitely is manageable if you're prepared to do your brushing and combing. Mm. Keep trimmed. If you can't do the trimming or don't want to learn to do the trimming, you can get grooming as long as you can find a groomer that's not going to run the clippers down the back and present. (laughs) Sometimes once the bitches are spayed, there's not a choice. You have to do this because the coat texture alters so significantly after the hormonal change with the spay. But there's nothing like keeping at least the ears and some feathering and not clippering the back, but doing a fairly generous clipper on neck, head, ears, mm-hmm. around the tail, keep the plumes off. Right. They're manageable, but it is definitely a shed breed. So you have to be prepared to take care of that. To have hair. (laughs) Yeah. They love going for walks. They love hunting when you're walking with them if they're off leash. You have to make sure that you've taught your comeback and come back and retrieve. They will retrieve. They love to carry balls. Generally, they like to fetch. They're not big water dogs, Mm. which is not part of their history. It's not part of their origin. We have some that like to go paddling. Our water up here is pretty cold. Right. We sort of sit 45, 44 if we're lucky. And so the dogs generally, they paddle, but they're not sure they want to get their whole bodies wet. They're not charging out in the surf is what you're saying. They're not doing a Chesapeake into the river. No. Talk a little bit about the history of the breed, because I find this to be fabulous. Well, this goes back to the days of the setting spaniel that we started out with a large group of different breeds that differentiated from the original Spaniels. They were originally separated into springing Spaniels and cocking or field Spaniels. And it was a height, weight, and how they hunt 
that made the difference. And the cocker was developed by hunters because they wanted an animal that could go into England's thorny bush rows, mm -hmm. dense hedgerows. If you've traveled in England, you know those hedges that run across the fields. Those are thick, dense, and they're wonderful hiding places for bird, woodcock in particular, which is where the name came from. But they also worked larger game birds, pheasant, and so on. And occasionally even hares. They do do fur as well. Okay. Yeah. They're very versatile little dogs. And these characteristics are, of course, part of the determiners of what the dog is supposed to look like. Yes. Form of the dog follows the function of the dog. We go back in North America to oboe and some imports that came in. And of course, Obo was responsible for an awful lot of issues. <laughs> Obo, what was he? 16 inches long, 10 inches tall. Oh, my goodness. So a sort of clumber proportion. Well, a little bit, but nothing whatsoever like a clumber in the head. He had the spaniel head. Mm. And he was quite a dominant little stud. And slowly and evaluate, we got up to Red Brucey and we got up to some of the other foundation dogs that were a little taller little higher mm -hmm. on leg. And during the 30s, they started to be recognized in the United States in the 1930s. And we saw an increase in the separation because at that time, the American cocker was being developed in the United States. And out of that, in 1946, the English Cocker Club of and it, I think it was 1933, I'm maybe a little off on that, but it was in that range, 33, okay. 35. Geraldine Dodge mm -hmm. was very instrumental in her work with the breed. If you ever come across a Geraldine Dodge copy of the English Cocker book, it's quite fascinating with early pictures, color plates, and breed standard descriptions and so on. Anyhow, in 1946... The AKC recognized the separation of the American cocker from the English cocker. Right. I knew it was 40s. 46. 46. Okay. okay. Excellent. And it's gradually evolved into a slightly taller than long, compact sporting spaniel that likes to do anything and everything, whatever you happen to be fond of. Love car trips. They're really happy to go par places. And they like children. They're really good with kids. <sighs> To me, I just love, they are so spanially. They are. Just that personality. I just adore that. So let's transition a little bit and talk about the English Cocker Spaniel in the show ring. And I also would like to have a brief conversation about the English Cocker Spaniel in the field. So their hunting style a little bit, the type of things that hunters might see from them. Which would you like to start with? Let's start with the field work, and then we will segue into the show ring. I'm going to read a quote. Alf Collins was the Collinwood breeder in England. Mm. And this is a little quote that is, I think, reflects. In sport as in ladies' hats, fashions have changed with each decade. Though fashions may change, we find that the merry little cocker has always maintained his place in the esteem of the public and sportsmen alike. By dint of his extreme adaptability and courage, and let us face this also by his hardiness to withstand the rigors of our English climate. He should never have been allowed to become a pampered pet. I love that statement. 
Yes. Although the vast majority are nowadays just that. Again, blame his adaptability and lovable nature. But anyone who has seen these game little dogs working in the field must admit this is their rightful heritage and the place where they are truly happy. A cocker that has once tasted the delights of bustling in and out of the hedgerows and thickets and has the scent of hare, pheasant, partridge, or the humble rabbit in his nostrils is lost forever to the drawing room. He will, on the slightest invitation, leave the cream cakes to follow the guns. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a wonderful quote, circa 1950. And I had a couple of Collinwood dogs mm. over the years in the early part. And he was a great breeder. I think it is such a great description of what I've observed when I've watched English cockers in the field. They love it. And you will find that most of them, when you go for a walk out in the bush, wherever you like to walk, where you have a place that you can safely let your dog free, they naturally quarter. They naturally work the field. Their tails go at 100 miles an hour. If only the people that are fighting against tail docking could understand how they beat those tails. I've seen it. (laughs) We don't have the thorny terrain up here that does the damage. But in England, those hedgerows are pretty dense. It requires that the dog has protection on its coat. And it has a short tail, so it's not going to beat it up. They hunt until they drop. We had a cocker in South America. My dad was a hunter. And this was sort of an early American cocker, party color. Mm. And that little dog would go hunting with him in 80, 90 degree heat, Mm. as you would find in Colombia. And he eventually died out on a hunt, literally from the heat. Mm. And it was a sad statement, but They will kill themselves. They will go till they drop. Mm -hmm. They will go till they drop. There is no halfway point for them. Right. They hunt up here. We find them working on pheasant to some extent. There are quail hunters still left in the world. They love quail. That's a wonderful size bird for them. Right. One of the things that I notice with a breed like the cocker, that is old, the clumber spaniels, right? Even the dogs where people have not really bred selectively for hunting ability. They've kept their instinct. Correct. So talk a little bit about that. I don't know. I can't explain why. But obviously the percentage of dogs that are from the show lines that go into hunting are few. Mm -hmm. There is a section of the breeding programs in English cockers that we call the field dogs. They're the working ones, not the field spaniel, the Mm -hmm. version of the English cocker. And they're different. They're very different. They're much less bone. They're much more refined. They have the body, they have the rib spring, and they have the heart. Mm. They want beyond belief to do it. Mm. I think I would find them exhausting to live with because they're always on. There's no off button that you can push. And they do look different. They're not Mm -hmm. the same. They are English cockers, Mm -hmm. but they do look different. Higher ear set sometimes. There is a separation. Mm -hmm. And because I move in show circles, I don't see a lot of these. But we Mm -hmm. have a young woman up the island here, up Vancouver Island, who has imported a couple And she has one that is working now, both in the States and in Canada, and she's training. 
this dog is fantastic. It's just absolutely amazing. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people that are doing with the breed. What is the original function and purpose of the breed? Mm-hmm. Do I think they look as pretty? No. <laughs> but I think that what you just observed, that the show dogs, even the ones who have not been specifically. They still do. Exactly. They will still go out. And this is, I think, one of the reasons the English Cocker is amazing with its nose. They have absolutely eaten up scent discrimination, scent mm. work, nose mm. work. Tracking there is barn hunt, right? Bar none. There is not a better breed, bar none, to do tracking than the English Cocker. They are phenomenal. They like agility, but sometimes that gets a little boring. <laughs> Their training is interesting because English Cockers don't like to repeat things too much. They like variety in their lives. And they are not dogs that become robotic. They don't become mm. robots doing whatever it is that they're doing. They look at you and they say, ah, you did this just a second ago. Why do I do it again? I did it right the first time. Why am I doing it again? And they'll sit and Drills or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's move on to something new. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds, up your game, owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. We have a gal on the island who has one of my dogs, and she's got a couple of others. One of them is sired by one of my dogs. And she is an amazing collector of titles. She has the longest string of alphabet after that dog's name that I have ever seen in my life. So they do trick work. They do scenting. They do agility. They do barn work. We even got some that are now 
performing in barn work. I mean, they're not foreign activities to a hunting breed, but they're still using the nose. Right. And it's the nose that is the factor, in my opinion. Fabulous. This is a great point to segue. You were talking about the coat as protection in the field. So now let's segue into the proper coat that is part of the package for the show dog. The English Cocker coat is meant to be protective. It is an undercoat. There is an undercoat and an overcoat. And the most important part, in my opinion, is that jacket that is meant to serve as a protective part of the dog's body jacket. It's also meant to have a loose skin so that your skin, the skin should be flexible so that it gives. Mm -hmm. If the dog gets hung up on a bramble thorn thicket, Mm -hmm. it's not going to rip its skin when it has to get out. It's going to have a jacket that is usually not stripped out or stoned out for grooming. It would be ideal if people would stop doing that. It is not meant to be heavily trimmed. The coat is short on the head and ears. It's short and fine head, particularly. Then the ears are trimmed. We normally trim about between a quarter and a third down the ear. And the inside of the ears, we keep cleaned out. And there's a functional purpose to that. There's a functional purpose for that. And also there's a health purpose because that allows the air to circulate in the ear, stops the yeasty buildup of a hot, wet place, and cleanliness is improved. Spaniel ears being notably so. (laughs) They are. That's one of the areas, and I didn't mention it because I didn't think of it at the time. We keep such careful control over ours that very, very seldom do I have an ear issue. But if you do not keep that air circulating by keeping the hair cleaned out and the ear open, you can get yeast infections, which are difficult, and then they become chronic. And yucky. The coat is silky, which is also a factor in helping for it to shed. If a dog has a cottony coat, it will hang up as soon as it gets into something thick, and it will hang up. It won't get out easily, which is, again, a reason why it would rip itself. The coat should not be so profuse that you lose the shape of the dog and so profuse that it will interfere with the field work. You find that the dogs that are field-bred are next to no coat, but the coat they have is a good jacket. It always has a shine on it, which is always an indication of a silky, correct texture. It feels strong. When you're actually running your hands in reverse up the coat, it shouldn't feel as though you're getting spiked by cut hair. You're getting a smooth, soft response to your hand when you use the reverse one. We encourage the dogs to be cleaned up for showing, obviously, but I think we've perhaps become so good at sculpting that we've obscured and the trimming creates a fooler dog. Mm. A dog that if you're not really sure can fool you into thinking it's better than it really is confirmationally. And so the coat is something that gets manipulated a certain amount. We want the coat to look as natural as possible. 
the wording on the standard is as natural as possible. Okay, very good. So with the rest of the dog, you go from your favorite part. You start where you want to start. Let's do the whole English Cocker Spaniel as seen from a judge's perspective. All right. I'm going to start before I even go to the dog with five words. These are five key concept words if you're going to judge this breed. Mary, that tail has got to work. This is a merry, happy. It doesn't stand very still. It loves to visit with all the other dogs in the ring. It's happy. It wants to jump up on you and be patted in between the examination and the next round of the ring. It's balanced. Nothing ever looks out of proportion. I always feel if you get a cocker, when you look at it and you say, oh, wow, look at all that angulation. Something's wrong. Shouldn't be visible. Shouldn't jump out at you. What should jump out at you is a dog that is in proportion and balanced. It should be compact. This is not a low on ground dog. It's short-backed, standing up at the withers. Okay. It stands up at the withers, but it is a short-backed dog. Any appearance of being less than square comes because it's got a prominent front. The Mm. prosternum, which pushes through the bramble, is there. And we're going to talk about rear ends eventually. They're thick. They're muscled, they're strong, and they're wide. <laughs> he has hams. English cocker butts. I just love English them. English cocker butts. You I just it. love them. The Irish washerwoman butts. <laughs> Maybe that's my excuse. Sorry, Irish okay. people. <laughs> goes back a while. Mary balanced, compact, moderate, mm. which is part of balanced. But it's Mm -hmm. just everything in moderation, nothing in exaggeration. Mm -hmm. And the last word is rounded. Everything is rounded. There should be no severe or sharp angles. Let me think. Doberman pinchers. Everything is very angular. Mm -hmm. The English cocker has slightly rounding on the head, has a rounded lip, has rounded feet. It's good round and muscle strength to the neck is rounded in the rib cage, but deeper, mm. the long rib cage. It's got rounded thighs. Nothing ever should look square, angular, or sharp because it's soft. Those are my five key words. Then what do I look for? Well, first of all, I'm looking at the overall general appearance of this breed. It should give me a sense that I've got a moderate-sized dog standing up at the withers, short and back, and well let down in hawk. That picture of a very balanced dog. I then take it around, and I'm looking for a dog that I can see is maintaining his shape on the move that he had when he was stacked by his handler assuming the handler stucks correctly, but I expect to see this on the move going around. When I get to the table, the examination, I look again at this general appearance of balance and proportion, and is there evidence of a forechest? Is there evidence of a good thick butt? 
And then I turn to the front and look at the head. Yes. This is probably, I think, one of the most beautiful headed breeds that you can find when it's correct. Right. It should look at you with the softest, kindest expression. It is never meant to look hard. And that is a combination of the width over the bridge of the muzzle, the rounding of the lip, the slight oval of the eye, which is fairly full. The flatness on the sides is no big bulging zygomatic arches. The softness, the definite presence of a stalk, but nothing nearly as much as you would see in the American Cocker. The set on of the ear, eye level, at least most of our dogs are really good on ear set. We very, very seldom have to say. It should be a fairly thin ear. It's not a thick, heavy, wide at the base or wide at the top part of the ear. And then when you look up, you will see the rounding that happens over the sides of the head and a very slight flattening on top. It is not the dome that you expect to see with the American Cocker. It's much flatter, right. but it's not flat like the English Setter. Right. Really, really not to get this. And the other part that's important is people ask about parallel planes. This breed has a very unique way of identifying planes. We do not expect absolutely dead level muzzle and top of the skull to be parallel because that will foster the look of an English setter rather than the cocker. We do, however, call for the sides of the muzzle. Put your fingers up the sides, each side of the muzzle. Your back skull on either side, looking front on the dog, will be parallel. So the two sides of your muzzle with your fingers, Mm -hmm. if you slide your fingers forward or back Mm -hmm. toward the occiput area, you will find that that's your parallel area. Okay. Muzzle length to skull length. Muzzle length and skull length is equal. So your nose to stop to occiput is equal. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.